0: This shiur is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Tzfarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. The um, topic chosen for tonight's uh, shiur lecture is um, friendship and love and unity. That's really a takeoff, or it's almost a translation of the pasuk. Vahafta re'echa k'mocha, vahavta is love, re'echa is friendship, and kamoha is a, a unity with the person that you're expressing, the vahafta. It's sometimes a, a concept that becomes bandied about so commonly, we tend to get a vague idea of what it means, and we sometimes miss out on important elements, or maybe even the most important element. We think Ha'af Rechok is sort of like a camping trip, everybody arms around each other, around the campfire, singing, it's a nice thing. But what exactly is Vatra Rechok demand from us? You can't like everyone the same, everybody's different, and there's a natural gravitation of people that are similar. You will have closer friends and further friends. So what exactly is our obligation in Vahav Tarech And let's take a look at the one who probably is the foremost posaik, the one who formulated it in the way that is most applicable. And of this formulation, I want to focus on one element. The Rambam, Maimonides, writes the following. Mitzvah kol odom le'ahov es kalechet There's a mitzvah for everyone to like everyone else, like himself. That's the general shenem And therefore, what? So the Rambam brings it down to two focal points, two focal points. L'fikach tzarech l'sape al momono. Therefore, you need to speak well of the other person and care about his financial welfare. The way one would care about one owns financial well being and one owns and one owns dignity. Of these two elements, the financial part, I think we're kind of sensitive to charity, people who are in need, a person needs a donation, a person needs a loan, or whatever, an investment. I think that that's still in the range of where we um, instinctively reach out of after kamocha. But the second element is a lot trickier, and it's the one I would like to focus on and focus first in its conceptual aspect, what it is what is it exactly that we're talking about, and then maybe a practical point about its implementation and areas that we should and we could exercise that implementation. The Ramam says you need to care about the person's honor. And he finishes off and he says if somebody sort of derives honor from someone else's downfall, usually there's, there's sort of a contrast. He didn't do well, I did well. Um, if a person gets that honor, he, he, he says he does not have a share in the world to come. very, very powerful um, description of how bad it is. We all understand that it's unpleasant to be maligned by somebody, to be embarrassed. We understand it's unpleasant. But how exactly does it become so strict that you don't have a share in the world to come? What exactly about it is the point that makes it so horrible? If you steal from somebody, you, you have a share in the world to come. So where is this Miskabit Beklon Havero? Getting your own honor at the expense of someone else come into play. Furthermore, the Talmud says, and again, this is a hyperbole in its obligation, but extremely specific in terms of how bad it is. It says, Noach Lola Adam. It's better for a person to jump into a fire than to humiliate someone else. And the reason given, in a few places, is humiliating someone is tantamount to killing the other person. And the Talmud uses a description of Azul that a person who's in robust health tends to be red, he tends to be ruddy, he, there's, there's, there's the complexion is kind of full. A person who's sickly, deathly, becomes pale. And when a person is really slammed, he turns pale. And that's a miniature murder of a person. So, obviously, we can't bring this out as a halachic norm. It's not something... Obviously, we won't tell people to kill themselves, because the Talmud says, even when you inadvertently, um, it might even be the other person's fault. But it certainly expresses the severity of it. And the Talmud says there's room for people on a very, very high madrega, someone who's extremely pious, to maybe do something to that effect. But what's important for us is to try and get an understanding, yes person turns a little pale. When when you show, you know, when you show someone for a liar, um, it's not pleasant. And you do turn colors and you turn pale. But from that to murder, what exactly are you murdering over there? So I would like to introduce a concept. Um, it's, it's quite a profound concept that the Maharal speaks about in a few places. The Maharal was one of the great Jewish thinkers in the 16th century. He wrote very profound works, a lot of them. Um, unfortunately, most people know him because of the golem, which may not have existed, but the, uh, you know, a, a golem is not something to be remembered. A, a, a great and brilliant and pious person is something to remember. And he speaks about this point of humiliation becoming um, murder. And he describes it as follows. He says... The the, the, um, the midrash says that God blessed Shabbat with a unique blessing, and the and the midrash says, where do we see that blessing? And it's the midrash says the meor panav shal adam, a person's glow is different on Shabbat than on the weekdays. And that's the special blessing. So he explains when a person, on his on a, on a physical level, the body, with the life force in the body, the life force in the body expresses itself by movement, breathing, circulation, f- various physiological activities that are biological norms of living. Where does the soul express itself in the body? Just like the biological life force has a way of expressing itself through the breathing, through, through the minimal amount of motion, where does the soul express itself? The place where we see the expression of a soul on a person is the orpanaf. There's something to the person, that glow, that we don't have a biological translation for it. The human face is unique. I- animal life is very similar in many ways to us, and we can definitely, um, you know, cross-reference, genetically very similar. And a lot of the and depending on, on, on which type of animal we're very similar, the, the level and depth of expression. And what we would call the glow, when we're in the presence of someone especially great, there's a special sense, an aura, that is the expression of a body with a soul in it. So if I were to ask myself, what is the pulse of life of the soul in the body, the answer would be me'or Panov. It would be that aura that a person has. A man of great spirit, you feel it, and there's something about it that leaves you a profound impression. A person who has a less, whose soul is very dormant, whose soul is not terribly expressive, has a blank look, apathetic look, coarse look, not that glow. Where you feel there's a lot of neshama for that body. If you want a point of reference in the Torah, when Moshe Rabbeinu, um, after the sin, it says Kikoran Or Moshe, his the face of his the, the 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 his face lit up in a way that people were in awe and they couldn't face him. It was an expression of the volume of Torah that he had gotten at Sinai and the fact that the Jewish people had fallen a level or many levels and they no longer could stand in the presence of that aura it wasn't a bright light it was the sense of awe before something that is so much greater that would be an example of that type of of light of glow when a person feels the good in himself, when a person feels spiritual, it emanates from him. And that's why on a Shabbat, which is a spiritual day, and we are more spiritual, we, 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 we exude that glow. When a person is shown up to be morally deficient, then it, st- it sort of leaves him the person, it's like, when sometimes you meet a person who's depressed, God forbid, and he's a shell of himself. He just doesn't have any more desire to live. He doesn't have that life force in him. On a spiritual plane, when a person feels that he's compromised, when a person feels he's forced to confront the fact that he's no longer good, when he's given a message that he's no longer good, then it leaves him. The same way as if a person's energy leaves him when he's down and he feels, what's the use of it? And if a person, I don't know, has a business and he tries once, twice, three times, doesn't go, he just has no spirit left in him to try again. On a moral plane, when a person feels either he's wrong, or someone shows him off for being wrong that same process happens to that special aura that a human being has and that's what the morale describes is the murder that, um, I, I, that insulting somebody does because yes, the person will function but he's going to function as a shell as a soulless body because He's got no soul. So whether he actually did something wrong, or society simply rejects him, or mocks him, the result is, God forbid, the same, and the person's just life goes out of him. He's a robot, he's a zombie, just going through motions, no real inner life force in him expressing itself. What is resuscitation that's what happens when we have um, damaged that life force when, we, when we've repressed it when we've, when we've, God forbid, removed it is there a process that I can stimulate it? is there a process that I can resuscitate it? so our sages gave us a process I will, and let me read it's a, it's a Mishnah it's like a Mishnah it's called Avostrebnasan. It says It's going on the Mishnah in Ovos that says you're supposed to greet everyone nicely, and the Avastrav Nasan, which is a little bit of a later work, elaborates and explains the point of it, the purpose of it. Ketzad. Shim If you give a person the best and nicest things in the world. But you don't look at the person when you're giving it to him. You're, you're about your business here, take, whatever it is. It's as if he didn't give him anything. hamikablas If somebody greets somebody nicely, Even if he didn't give him anything, It says, If he gave him all the good. Another phrase used commonly to describe this phenomena is called is your glow for yourself the reflection of your inner sense of who you are and what you are. And ha'aras panim is projecting to the other person the sense that he is pleasant, he's wanted, he's desired, he's good. That is ha'aras panim. It's almost... and, And see how our sages chose the right words to show us that these are two sides of the coin. Me'or upon him, every person has a fire that glows in him. That's me'or upon him. And you have the ability to take that fire and light somebody else's fire with it. And that's called ha'or upon him. We can imagine this process in two ways. One, a sort of mystical way just like fires when they come close to each other a candle that's not lit comes in the presence and, and the proximity of a candle that's on fire it'll burst out in flame and the same thing is true a person who's who, who has a lot of or upon him his aura upon him sweeps up the other person includes him and a more practical reason why it would work. When I smile at somebody, when, when I'm pun him to somebody, I'm sending him a message, you are pleasant to me. If I look up and I see somebody, and my reaction is a positive, pleasant smile, then the message I send to the other person is you're great, you're pleasant, you're wanted, you're enjoyable. That sense lights the fire in a person himself. I want, to, um, I, I, I want to say over something that my Rebbe and teacher, Abhayim Shmulevitz, the great Rosh Hashiva in Israel, he passed away in 79, he was from the brilliant minds and the very deep hearts. And he would say over many times, the following medrash and bring out the point the incredible point about the power and the effect of even and maybe possibly because an inadvertent ha'aras it goes as follows the medrash says it says when the brothers were there to sell off Joseph as a as a as a slave, the one who wanted to protect him, there were two that stood up for him. Ruvain said, "Leave him go," and Yehuda suggested selling him. It says, "Vayishma Ruvain Ruvain heard about it. So the midrash picks up. What does it mean? He heard about it. They were all standing around, and decided. To kill him. What does it mean he heard? Where was he? Sir Midrash has a few suggestions. And one of those suggestions is, he wanted to save Joseph. He was there. He knew exactly what they're doing. But something rang in his ears. So significant. Vayishma, he heard something that Joseph had said that moved him to risk his life possibly. If the brothers were so upset at Joseph, they'll take on another one, possibly, to save him. What was it that he had heard from Joseph that was so important that moved him to possibly, um, possibly give up his life? They were, if they were ready to kill one brother and he's standing up for him, it may not have taken much to get rid of him as well. What was it that he heard? So it's two steps, and I will, I will bring the two pieces. Ruvain had had a devastating incident when, his, when, when Rachel passed away. Ruvain was not Rachel's son. He was a son of Leah, who was less favored. And when Rachel passed away, he moved his mother's bed in a position where he felt would give her the prominence as, as being the, the wife that she ought to be. The Torah takes him to tasks terribly. And calls it a sort of adultery. Because mixing it to someone else's marital affairs is something... It's, it's, it's past all red lines, and it's not... Even if you meant it, well, whatever it was. The Torah calls it, very severe, calls it a sort of adultery. And he was devastated. That's in fact why he lost his, his rights as a firstborn. He really was shorn of any prominence that he might have had as the first child of Jacob fast forward a few years later and Joseph is telling his brothers I had a dream and the dream was that all 11 of you all 11 stars are bowing to to the moon are bowing to to the sun, are bowing to me now the brothers felt that that was a bout of megalomania and that's why they wanted to kill him But Ruven said, one second, he included me as a brother. I'm one of them. Ruven heard that. That made the difference to me between feeling that I am lost, I'm gone, to hearing that I'm still part of it. I may have done something wrong, but I'm part of of the brothers. That... That message that he heard from Joseph made him go and stand up and stand between him and his brothers because it was worth everything for that message. The message that had reinstated him, despite the fact that Joseph he didn't think Joseph had any good intentions with it. And it was inadvertent. Maybe that's why it worked. It wasn't in any way uh, contrived. And Joseph said it as a natural part of his dream that 11 of you are going to bow to me, which means Ruven is one of them. That's the power of saying something positive that gives a person back his right to place. My, my Rebbe would say it, and we'd be very moved by the fact that this was something... It was negative in every way possible. He said it as part of his own dreams. And, but to Reuven's ears, this was the difference between living as an outcast or being a flawed member of, of the tribe. Chazal tells us, the, 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 the Yerushalmi tells us another, gives us another sharp example of the difference between giving something with save upon Panim Yafos, with upon him or giving something without it. The the Talmud poses a riddle. How is it possible that a person feed his father pheasant, which was expensive in those days as well, and a delicacy, obviously, and he goes to Gehenna, and somebody forces his father to endure hard labor, and he gets ganaden for it, olam haba. So Yishalami says... Somebody was a well-to-do man, I guess, and he would feed his father a <coughs> meal of pheasant every day. And one day he said to him, "You know, I'm so proud of you, my son. Where do you get that money for the pheasant? What, like, what do you?" Do? And he told him, "Shut up, old man." Th- th- that's what he told him. So the Gemara says, "Well, the pheasant is not what did it. He's going to Gehenim. because." what value does a pheasant have if 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 you gave him no sense of self I, in other words if i'm an extra piece over here then what's use is anything exactly like the the observer said if you gave a person something without a upon him what did you give the person no no in the world is worth Anything to me, if I don't exist. The, um, I want to read a Rabbeinu Yonah. Rabbeinu Yonah was one of the classic Musa of the ethical discourses. He lived a little bit after Rambam, lived sort of 12th, 13th century in Spain. He's noted for his classic work, Shari Tshuva, which is studied in this time of the year, it deals with various elements of chuva. And he also wrote a few smaller works. One of them is called Seifa Haiira, a very concise guide to good living. And he writes about Echnasasarhim, er greeting guest. So there are elements there that one would expect good food, come you know, clean bed and people are tired and so on and so forth. I'd like to point out some elements that stand out because they deal with the quality of the giving rather than the quantity. He says, "If guests come, Yaachniso Lobeso, besave upon himyafas. He should greet them in a warm way. I'm skipping lines. I'm skipping the pieces I think are not relevant. And when you give him food, And then he says, and this is something I think we're not always sensitive to, Even if he's in the midst of a crisis, he's undergoing some crisis, somebody in the family is not well, his his business is really spiraling downwards, his kids are having issues, Yishchena He should push it away from his mind. Because the guest doesn't know that the reason why you're looking so sour at him is because you have a problem. My instinctive reaction when someone opens the door and looks at me and his expression says, Oh my gosh, what did I do to deserve this? It's, it's about me. That's 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 normal. So, so when, when, when someone comes into your domain, even if you are undergoing a lot of issues and pressure, he says, take that away. He's speaking, this is a very concise guide. And this is normal. 24 hours a day, some of those hours, um, we, have, we have something going on. That's the part of life. And when somebody happens to intrude on those hours, we need to take, we need to sort of flip the switch and go from caring about our own issues to showing the person what we think about him. He says, even if you have others to serve them, do it yourself. It's for the same reason. Somebody that I like, if, 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 I, need, if, if I need to take care of some of the business, I'll pick up a phone and say, you know, Jack, why don't you take care of it? But, but, but if a friend of mine... Even a golfing trip with somebody I don't particularly care for, I'll ask my business partner to do it. But if it's my friend that, I lo- that I'm waiting to see, I'm not going to send somebody to go with it. If you do things for a guest, that yourself, the message is, I'm enjoying you, and I'm looking for the opportunity to interact with you. He says, and again, I'm skipping a few lines, and he says, look at this. It says by Abraham... Whatever he did himself, God gave him back by doing it himself, so to speak, for the Jewish people. And whatever he sent a messenger, God did it through a messenger. The quality of the care didn't suffer. When Abraham sent Yishmael to do this or that or the other thing, I am sure it was done as well. The meat was roasted as well as as Abraham would have done. But there was one thing missing. You're supplying me with meat. But there's no message that you particularly would like to have me around. And when God does something to an angel, it means we get what we need. But there's no message there that I, God, like what you're doing and, and, and would want to be part of it. And finally he says, um, when they, uh, he says, when you give, show that you wish you could have given more and that for whatever reason, it's you, you, you have some shortcoming. And the logic behind it is the same. Because you always feel, whatever you take, that you're imposing on somebody. And the only way that we can get away from that is by showing we wish we would have done more. I feel that I haven't done enough. Those are all elements that he weaves into an act of supreme kindness. Bringing someone to my house means My privacy is is sort of compromised. I have to be ready with food, with stuff, change the beds, things like that. But again, what's the point of it if it's not in any way, um, if if, if I don't convey to the person the sense that he's important to me and, and, and that I love interacting with him? I'd like to share a memory that I have of a great person many, many years ago. This is going back to the early 70s. I had a cousin in Tel Aviv. He was a, a, a Rebbe someplace. She was a, his wife was a, a, a great woman, a woman of great stature. She was the granddaughter of one of the great Balimusa, of one of the great Sadiqim of a generation before. She was a woman who lectured widely, very, very bright. More than anything else, was she was regal, aristocratic, and extraordinary sense of how to deal with a person in, in, in the best way possible. Uh, it, it's it's a, I was fortunate that many years later my uh, daughter married their grandson. There was a, a, a sort of a uh, but I would like to say over something that left an indelible memory. I came there once for Purim, for the meal. They had guests. They had a humble house, but everything was always like very tasteful and so on. They had some very important people. there had some very special people. And they had some people that really were in need um, in different areas. And this was, you know, this was their circle, all sorts of people. I walk in and there's a woman who seemed to be a regular there. You know, charitably, what we would call a bag lady, a homeless person. I I don't know what her story was, but she was dressed in shabs and everything with it. And I assume, I guess sort of fitting pieces back, she must have been the daughter of some great rabbi. That's what I gathered. But she herself was a wreck. A type of person you would really not even want to bring in. That's very nice. As I walked in, this the the hostess, Rabbi Zalpen turned to her and to me. With she said, "Oh, she said, Aaron, it's me. Let me introduce you to Rivka the Robs. Rivka, the rabbi's daughter. She said, Rivka, this is a young cousin of ours. You know, Aaron. Let me introduce you. This is Rivka the Robs." And, and for a second, she was Rivka the Ravs again. I don't know what had happened to her life. I have no idea. I don't know much about it. But it was shocking to me how, how the person became transformed from rags for, for, the, for the few moments that she was presented like the Queen of England to me and the privilege I have of meeting her and, and how wonderful it is she was. I, there was something in her that changed for a moment or two. And, and I still have that memory. It's, it's many, many years ago. But when you may upon him to somebody, you light up his upon him. Your upon him lights up their aura upon him. I want to give maybe a practical a few practical ideas and include myself in the need to implement these. We tend to be very nice with friends that are friends of El's. I'd like to point out two situations, and again myself amongst everyone else, that we would do well to focus a little bit on it and to, and to uh, maybe improve ourselves for Elo for the Schuss of, of, of Gavi and so on. Each and every one of us has the area that we're king in. We have our office, our business, our skill, whatever it is and inevitably somebody comes and knocks at our door at the wrong time someone needs a favor money advice professional help medical help whatever it is and it hits us at a time when it's not ideal for us and there are many moments like that the time of the day is not right business is not right I'm just got too many other things going on. Whether we do the favor or not, greeting the person with her upon him is a world of difference. When I knock on someone's door, and for whatever it is, and the person greets me with a look that why do why why does this tsar also coming with all my other tsaras, then I stop living a little bit. I become this small. And people feel it immediately. And being able to give the Horus upon him at those moments is exactly what Rabbi Yonah says. We, you know, we host guests in our homes, but we host guests all the time at different venues. And being able, even if we can't do the favor, a lot better. I, somebody asked me, I once went, somebody from, from Izahar Institution, and he asked me, he, I had to bump into him to New York, it's somebody I knew, a very credible person, very good person. It was the first time in America he didn't know English or anything. He bumped into me and he said, could you come to me knock on doors? Because I don't, I don't know what the streets are, I know nothing. I don't know what he was thinking. I, I guess I, w- I was the miracle he was hoping for. And it wasn't a great miracle. He didn't do it all that well. And we spent the night, a rainy night, knocking on doors, getting no place. One person opened the door and said, why don't you come in? And he listened to the guy's story for 10, 15 minutes. And he said, listen, I normally would give a very nice sum. I've had some business reverses the last year or two. I, I will try to give at least half what I normally give to these things. And God willing, if things improve, so on and so forth. It was not not a great sum of money. But after a whole night of just, you know, banging on doors, and a friend of mine who was a philanthropist, told me that, you know, I, I don't have people sit and do their spiel because if I'm not going to give, I'm not wasting time, I'm not wasting, you know, he means it well, he really means it. But I told him, there's another side to it. I understand that you don't want someone doing a spiel for a half hour and then you're not giving him anything really much. But when you're out there and doors get slammed in your face, when someone says, hello, come in, I would like to give, I just can't now, um, have in mind later, You feel like a different person. So the area of of being sensitive, whenever somebody needs us, is usually when we're irritated. Um, I don't know if one of the books we read in high school yet was Babbitt and was about a it was a caricature of an American middle class person. And it has two chapters. One is where he needs the the higher class person who rebuffs him. And he's fuming about snobbery and so on and so forth. And right next, the next chapter is somebody, a class underneath him, is trying to get his attention. And he's irritated. Why does this person think he has a right, somebody of such lower class, to intrude in his life? That's very much the picture. That's that's somewhere along the line we we fall along those faults. A second area. There are people who lead lonely lives. People that are older need more patience, don't readily have family connect, may not even want to impose on us. People who are different, strange, diverse, whatever name you want to call it, that people, they're not easily integrating company, and people don't want to integrate them. They, reaching out, when you say hello to someone, you pick up a phone to somebody, when you listen to somebody, you're giving them life. Not to the person that you wanted to talk to, but the person that needs you. And if you open your eyes, there are plenty of people like that. Understand that the Ha'aras Panim gives him back his Ma'ar Panim. A person who feels wanted is a person. And a person who doesn't feel wanted is, stops being a person. He shrivels and dries out and, and he's a shell. To whatever, degree people, to whatever degree people give him the message that he's wanted and appreciated, that's an infusion of life. And whatever we don't do, whatever we do not do, it doesn't require being mean. Not doing, leaving a person alone sends a message, nobody needs you, nobody cares for you, you're extra. It's a terrible message and it destroys life. If a human being is this life of or upon him, of feeling a sense of humanity, then we drain it by inaction. Not, God forbid, even by action. These are things I wasn't fortunate to know, Gavi B'chayi Chayuso. What I've heard a lot in the, during the time that he was, that he was struggling and Rabbi Mamon kept me abreast because there were issues and questions. And as I got more and more sense of what his personality was like. When a person is good-natured, good-humored, always greeting you pleasantly, it's pleasant because it's pleasant, and it's pleasant because it keeps sending me a message. I'm likable. I'm wanted. I'm appreciated. I'm loved. One of the great anguishes of somebody young who passes away is that they haven't had a chance to create life of their own. But when a, person's, when a person is constantly infusing people with life, then a lot of little pieces of life in the community and the people he touched are the lives that he brought in. And if we're able to do something and infuse life to others, that's also his life. That's the life that created life and so on. As we think now, as we're headed for Yom Neroyim and Ben Le Lechavero and Vafra is such an important part of it, understanding that the financial things that people need are important and thank God to some degree we, it's easier to meet because it's concrete and, and defined, quantified but the Ramam says the second half and maybe the more important half is the cover of the other person it's the it's the um, it, it's the feeling like we described before of infusing his him with our haraspanim. And if we if we're careful with it, if we pay attention to it, and if we do it because we were inspired by a life of somebody that was all more all him, and generated so much horaspanim in other people, then, then that life Continues to live, continues to inspire life, and in a certain sense becomes eternal life. Baruch.